0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the podcast on AlanArnett.com. And today we're going to be talking about Everest 2021, but we're going to be talking not about the climbing, well, actually the climbing, but also the weather with a meteorologist that has tons of experience in forecasting uh, big mountain uh, weather, including I think you're doing it for some clients on Everest this year. This is Chris Tomer out of uh, Denver,
1: Colorado. Hey, Chris. Alan, good to see you again. thanks for having me on. <laughs> so
0: I've been on Chris's show uh, a few times as well as you know we've climbed a, a, a fair number of times together here in Colorado. so chris is Chris is not only a meteorologist, but he's a friend, so please don't hold that against him. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, um, you know, last week we had big, some big snow dumped on top of base camp, about a foot or something, and I kind of stopped everybody. And this week is just like picture perfect. I mean, they're up in the Coombe at Camp 1 and 2, and the winds, from what I'm hearing reports, uh, are like under 10 miles an hour. It's cold. It's around zero degrees Fahrenheit. But um, And then you told me that um, the headline may be for this year,
1: where's the jet stream? I, you know, in all the years I've been doing Everest, Alan, I, I just kind of, I stepped up to this and I thought, okay, is this going to be like all the other years? The jet's going to be there into early May. I, and then I looked I started looking at the jet and I thought, this can't be right. I, I, I you know, I had to check the dates, I checked the times and, and it was. Um, and I, so I dove into the data and I thought, okay, what's going on here? Um, it looked like a giant dome of high pressure was displacing the jet. Jet stream. I mean, we're talking about a high pressure. It's like one to two sigma above the norm. Okay. This time of late April into early May. What does that mean? It means that the jet is running north, way up into, into China, and it's to the south. And so you've got Everest and, and all the big peaks right in between in this prolonged period of light wind, summitable temperature, summitable weather that could be 10 days straight. And I mean, it's just like this, this is something just totally new. So do
0: you think this might be a repeat of 2018 when in late May from around the 15th to the 25th, we had 11 consecutive days of summit winds under
1: 30 miles an hour? That was the first thing that came to my mind. I thought, wow, this looks a lot like that 10 to 11 day stretch just way earlier you know, and, and you would know more about the logistics and what's in place or what could be in place in time to take advantage of this, but it looks an awful lot like that, Alan. I mean, we're talking summit winds potentially, like you said, 10 to maybe 15 miles per hour with no big jet streaks or intrusions within that time timeframe. So, so do you think it could last all the way through the end of May or no, is that just too far out? There I before? think there is a time limit on this and it might be around May 8th or somewhere in there and then it, the jet may come back for a while, and does it pull back again, or is this the biggest window we're going to see? Don't know yet, I mean, that's just so far off.
0: So, uh, I know you're not a big fan of these computerized forecasts, <laughs> but- <laughs> They're a good broad brush. Uh, yeah, they're a broad brush, they're, and they're often a point in time, there's no human interpretation to it, but uh, I'm also hearing people talk on the mountain about maybe next Tuesday, so you know, eight days from now, there might be uh, six, another six to eight inches may hit the area.
1: Yeah, you know, um, that's that's possible. But I think what I'm seeing is just a lot of dry weather. I I think that when you consider that you have a high pressure of this caliber, I think you have to lean more towards drier weather than predicting snow. While I think snow is possible anytime on Everest, I would lean more towards a dry forecast throughout the period. When you mentioned the I I know they got hit hard with that one snow was maybe a week ago or whatever it was. I think that's really been the exception to the rule from what I've heard from people on the mountain, that it's fairly dry. And even talking to a client on Makalu, he said one of the problems is just blue ice and that it's so dry there that that's kind of what they're looking at and so I would lean more towards a drier forecast
0: yeah without a doubt Nepal and the Himalayas had a had an unusually dry winter um you know the folks on Annapurna uh, that was one of the issues there was they hit that blue ice so they had to use more rope than expected to fix it and they ran out of rope you know so thankfully everybody survived they had a record uh, summit which is a, another story in and of itself you know but still um yeah it's unusual weather patterns so um you know what do you think? What's the big picture here, Mr. Meteorologist? Is it climate <laughs> is it, change? Is it you know? Is it aliens? What do you think's going on?
1: <laughs> the year the jet died uh, is yeah. one way I'm looking at it. Now, why? What can you chalk that up to? It's interesting because you, in, from a scientific perspective, if yeah. you were to look at the the signals in the atmosphere, you would expect just the opposite right now. You would expect more snow than normal in the Everest area in India, more precipitation than normal. That is not the case, obviously. And so, you know, you have to say, well, maybe this is one of those things you chalk up to climate change. Maybe this is one of those weird things that falls outside of the norm now that we may see more of in the future. These weird windows that get shifted by, like we're seeing now, this is way early. Yeah. You know, maybe that's something we see more of in the future.
0: Well, remember in 2019, we had hurricane or ty- uh, cyclone or typhoon Fanny. That's right. That, that came the first week of May and just dumped all over both sides of the mountain. That's and typically, right. the, the those um, typhoons in the Bay of Bengal, they don't form until, you know, after June 1st. And that was a month early. So that was really it was an a outlier.
1: Month early, wasn't it? Yeah, that came straight up from the Bay of Bengal. I remember that. That was significant. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff you know, while why meteorologists are important, why all this is critical is that stuff that falls outside of the norm that you have to be ready for. And this is one of those interesting cases. Do you think that this would benefit those teams that arrived earlier and have sort of all the logistics in place earlier to hit something like this?
0: You know, not very many teams did because of all the uh, uh, confusion over the COVID, whether you had to quarantine, whether you had to have a vaccine, a lot of people held back. So actually this year, everybody arrived, typically, they arrive around tax day, April 15th, and this year they didn't arrive till around the 20th, even though the Icefall doctors had the route fixed to Camp 2, um, on, oh my gosh, back in early April, uh, but it was, you know, they were all dressed up and nowhere to go, uh, and then they got there, and they took, you know, they took their time like they normally do to, you know, kind of get used to 17,500 feet to acclimatize, brush up on some skills, uh, and they only really started to start going up into the Coon uh, last week, and in fact, climbing the Seven Summits was one of the only teams that went to Camp 1, and then that snowfall hit on Wednesday, right. Thursday, then they needed to give it a few days to settle because of avalanche danger, so, you know, just kind of some stuff has happened this cause everybody to be delayed but now given this weather forecast for this week we're seeing a mad rush and you know camps one and two are just filled to the brink uh base camp is pretty empty uh for a number of reasons uh but um you know so if the the forecast what you're suggesting is accurate then this is going to be great because i think the ropes will get to the summit this week Um, I think there'll be some fast followers. So I think we'll see some foreigners that will summit uh, potentially at the end of this week. You know, Chris, another phenomenon that's going on, and you know it well, is that, um, that, you know, typically it, Traditionally, it was eight weeks to summit Everest, you know, basically April and May. And now uh, through these so-called rapid descents or whatever, they're shortening it down to a month. And in some cases, like Rochester and Vogel last year, two weeks. Um, But, you know, with these type of weather windows, and also they're using supplemental oxygen at higher flow rates, starting lower, like at Camp 2 instead of Camp 3, all of a sudden now the entire model changes. Uh, So if, you know, with these weather forecasts the way they are, It would not shock me to see, we've got 400 permits, that's 800 people in the mountain. It wouldn't shock me to see 100, 150 summits in the next two weeks.
1: This is the thing that really fascinates me, Alan, right now, because it's like where everything starts to come together, the synergy of everything. And when you mentioned to me this new flow rate on the O2s, when you mentioned to me a lot of the teams doing the tents at home, you know, the fast programs. I just think this is such an interesting moment for Mount Everest, and if the weather cooperates, I mean, can can you imagine the model, this new model that you talk about, I mean, that, that things come together so early and so quickly, I mean, what this does to you know, Mount Everest and the types of programs you can offer people now? I mean, this is well, really fascinating.
0: It is fascinating and um, it blows up the kind of the old school model, if you will, of, you know, kind of the going up and down the mountain, the climatizing and, you know, uh, multiple trips through the icefall, which, you know, this year is a little bit longer and more securitist than it has been in the past. I've been seeing reports that's taken some people 12 hours to go through it. Normally it should be anywhere from five to seven uh, for the first, uh, rotation through the icefall. Uh, but it seems like it's a little bit longer, only a handful of ladders. So again, the icefall is, um, is behaving differently than in, in the past. And maybe you can chalk, chalk that up to
1: climate change as well. You might be able to, I mean, you know, here's the thing, like the uncertainty after May 8th. Okay. What does the jet do after that point? How many people are able to summit before that? And if the jet does come back after May May 8th, how long does it last? Do we con- are we just blowing our chances early? Does it then move off the summit again after that? you know, maybe after the 16th or something? I mean, just thinking theoretically here, does it open up again and do we get most of the crowds out of the way early? Who's left for that possible second, third window? I mean all these things, these new these new uh, question marks, right from all the, the standard model of years, <laughs>
0: So one thing you just put in my head is that if this is one of these windows that is kind of a one and done, and then the jet comes back and it sits, it parks on top of the summit for the rest of the month, because, you know, basically the icefall doctors shut down the route at the beginning of June, because traditionally the monsoon comes in and starts to warm up. And so the icefall becomes even more dangerous with melting and tracks falling over and all of that. I mean, so... you want to take a bet as to whether this is one or done or there's going to well, be another I, this,
1: window? This just came to me. I remember it might have been 2018 before that big 10-day, 11-day window I remember talking with a colleague of mine, Michael Fagan. Yeah. Him and I were talking. The Jet was extremely erratic one season. Like, it was really hard to forecast. I remember us actually exchanging some emails. He was working with some teams, and sure. it might have been before that window. I remember it was one of these seasons where it was just – ridiculously difficult to forecast the jet and and some of the teams got blown off the the summit, especially on the North side, there was some, some damage to some tents and stuff. And him and I were like, you know, we we don't know what's going on with the jet. And then that might've been the season. Then the 10 day thing came. I remember when it was, if it wasn't that season, it was one of the most recent ones. So I don't know, but you know, what will be the case? What, 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 what will we find after this? You know, what will be the state of affairs with the, the jet after this? I just don't know.
0: So just uh, as we wrap this up, the jet stream is high winds aloft. What's the typical altitude and speed of the jet stream?
1: So um, the, as you know, uh, summit of Everest 29, roughly 29,000 feet. So what we have to look at is the jet stream at 30,000 feet, uh, because even though that seems like that's way above the summit, it's really not. Um, Some of the wind gets carried down through momentum. And, and so that does matter. The 30,000 foot jet is a really key element to being able to summit successfully. Uh, and timing the jet streaks a lot. Most years you have to time out the jet streaks and you get these little keyhole windows that pop up and you can go to the summit. Um, that's why this is so interesting and so different because this is just wide open. And so the 30,000 foot uh, level of winds is absolutely critical to Everest. And that's not the case on all the 8,000 meter. You can get away with not looking at it, but on Everest, it's critical.
0: And sometimes the jet will actually split also, right? I mean, you'll have a jet stream. And actually, reality is there's multiple jet streams, if I have that correct.
1: Yeah, the winds differ at every altitude. But the 30,000, and and you're right, it can split. The north side can be totally different than the south side when you try to summit. We've heard that before as well with teams. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that 30,000 is key. And what's the typical speed? So a lot of the jet streaks that roll through are 100 140 miles an hour, okay. um, and those are just devastating if you're up higher, as you know, on the mountain. Um, you can get a lot of days that are, that are running 50, 60 that are still, you can't summit, but you can go to Camp 3. And you can acclimatize, you can do all your rotations, but you have to watch out for the ones that go 100, 120, 140 mile an hour.
0: And one thing I didn't realize until last year when um, a lot of the airlines kind of shut down or or peeled back was that so much of this weather data comes from airplanes. And so, you know, that withstanding, um,
1: that there's not a lot of airplanes flying around Mount Everest. Yeah, that was was a... um that was a moment where I remember reading into some of the articles on the, the peer-reviewed research and, and how, what the percentage was of our observations that get. See, we have these computer models that gather and sort of right. chew up all this information and then spit out a forecast and one of the elements is aircraft observations because quite, we don't live up there. And so we have to have observations to know what the temperature is, the humidity, the winds are. And without those aircraft observations, it's almost like we have a black hole, right? That gets fed into the computer. So we have to make up for that. So they brought additional satellites on board up the amount of observations that we can sense from satellites. And then that gets fed in to make up the difference. Now we have more aircraft now, but like you said, it's not not a full fleet. So we make up that difference with other in other ways. So we're back to where we need to be. The accuracies should be there.
0: You know, a few years ago, Nat Geo and Rolex sponsored to put these weather stations. I think it's at uh, um, gorick Shep, maybe it's one of the villages, but definitely base camp camp to um, the balcony um in the south coal and I, I i try i try to look at it every couple of days and most of the time they're down
1: <laughs> yeah i haven't looked at it recently
0: yeah uh but uh it's actually they, they do have it right now for camp two and it it's showing uh between zero and 10 degrees fahrenheit uh okay. for the for the right um the temperature and then um the winds are like 10 miles an hour so virtually nothing
1: virtually nothing yeah yeah, yeah it looked like the summit attempts are going to be running like maybe minus 15 to minus 25 most of the time i mean is that pretty that seems standard to me i mean especially with no wind i mean
0: yeah minus 20 minus 30 is typical um, okay yeah, yeah. So,
1: all no, right a, man
0: well listen yeah. thank you so much for the insight uh Anytime, maybe Alan. maybe we'll try to get you and fagan on and in, in, uh in a couple
1: that would of weeks. be fun right a little round table
0: yeah have a little round table and uh see who wants to share their forecast <laughs> right. <laughs> Not really. No, thanks so much, Chris. And I uh, really appreciate all of your expertise and good luck to your clients on the mountains. Thank you, Alan. Take care.